Hey everybody, welcome to the Up for Discussion podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order that we talk about them. And sometimes we talk about them in different orders as well. Sometimes we talk about them in the reverse order of the order you expect from us. Whoa, especially the order that we put in the title, because sometimes the titles just sound better one way. You right. And also uh, we can never remember what we talked about. Yeah, that's more accurate. <laughs> Hi guys, my yeah. name is Tim, this is Tom, we have a guest today. Hello. This is Alex. Alex Smith. Hey. Wow. Welcome I back. I was around um, for our Christmas movie marathon miracle. Oh yeah, you guys did the uh, the, the, the strange the, the, magic. I'd use at least one of those four <laughs> words to describe what that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> miracle, <Christmas. laughs> right? Miracle is the one. Sure. <laughs> oh man, welcome back. And Thank you. It's Happy nice to be to, back. Nice to have you here in like a normal setting. Mm-hmm. Setting where you're not doing a strange thing, watching a movie. Watching an awful movie. Are you getting a phone call? I am. From somewhere in <laughs> British Columbia. I think uh, that it's probably the charity that I donate to telling me that I didn't have enough money to give them my donation. <laughs> <laughs> so go to patreon.com slash acapella science. <laughs> oh, I'm actually like, I've, this is a good, a good month for me because uh, my new video is being sponsored by the Perimeter Institute oh. for Theoretical Physics. You're um, even wearing the, the shirt. shirt. Never I am wearing the shirt. I've been wearing the shirt for like four days, though, so uh, don't get too close to me. But yeah, they sent me a shirt so I could wear it in the new video. And then all through filming and then editing, I just kept wearing the shirt because I was like going back and forth from editing to filming. I was like, I don't have time to change clothes. Yeah, fair enough. So here I am. I like that they've bridged the serif on the I into the P to make it kind of a pie. That's that's why, because it's P-I, mm-hmm. but then they made it a, a uppercase pie. Whoa. It's, it's clever. That's kind of clever. They are clever people, and they're you know a bunch of geniuses sitting in a building with nothing to do. They better have a good logo. So, mm-hmm. what do they do when they're doing nothing? They think about theoretical physics, Whoa. which is fun. That yeah, it's just it's this institute that was set up by the guy who start, who started BlackBerry, I think. Um, before BlackBerry was a terrible, unprofitable company, um, it was an incredibly profitable company. And this guy was like, I should do good things with my riches, and so he, in his hometown of Waterloo, started this theoretical physics institute and now just people all over the world come and chill there and like think about physics and they don't have to take class like teach classes and stuff they can just think so it's a cool place i spent a bunch of time there last year or not a bunch of time like two days um that wasn't the place that had all the weird instruments um no no oh that that was uh that was the instrument museum oh, okay a couple years back but no this is the place i went last uh, last summer for this conference um, where I chilled out with uh, Henry Reich from Minifysics and just learned about what's going on in physics, which was pretty cool. But yeah, since then, we've sort of been talking. And when uh, the gravitational wave discovery happened a couple of weeks ago, they were like, well, we saw a black hole a billion light years away colliding with another black hole. Um, they messaged me and were like, hey, let's do a thing together because we really like this thing and we're presuming that you're going to do a thing. And I was like, I've already written a song. So yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> let's do this together. So yeah, that's a, if you're my Patreon patron, you can already watch that video. But if so, not, you will see it in a couple of days. Well, when are, when are you putting it out? Because this is coming out Wednesday. So what? Oh, uh, probably still in a couple of days. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <clears throat> so so Alex, story, bye. what do you, uh, what do you do in life? Why are you here? 
Well, um, I am a theatrical lighting designer and stage manager and occasional playwright, pedant, smartass, gay Jew, many things. Every label you can give me, I will probably take. Wow, that's a that's a scary thing to just put out into the world. Oh, you know it. You're like <laughs> a you're like a monster in a Miyazaki movie. <laughs> yes, thank you. What is that? I'm I'm not sure. I I just watched Howl's Moving Castle actually, so I have a good sense of the monsters in Miyazaki movies, well, but I'm still not quite sure what you're talking about. Wait, what's the one uh, with the girl who loses her name to the the creepy ghost? Um. Oh, that right. is Spirited Away. I'm likening you to the to to the creepy ghost. Oh, thank you. I'll I'll take that as a compliment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm amorphous and gelatinous and a traditional Shinto kami. So yes, that is an absolutely apt thing to call me. Wait, is this the creepy ghost the one that com- the thing that comes in for a bath and it's super slimy, or is that another? They're all kind of super slimy, slimy yeah. though, aren't they? Like they've all got that sort of ectoplasminess to them. Under the right circumstances. It has been nearly a decade since I saw that movie. Right. But that one is particularly like they, it comes in just this mess of gross and like destroys the place that is meant to clean things because it's too dirty to be cleaned. And then is also kind of evil, I think. Mm. It's been a while for me, too. Yeah. I haven't seen Ghostbusters in like two decades. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're... You're like not a lot more than two decades old. <laughs> <laughs> is Ghostbusters even twenty years old yet? Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's it's from the eighties, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ghostbusters two was early nineties, late eighties. So Ghostbusters the original was I think eighty five, eighty six, maybe eighty seven. Older than me, anyway. Yeah, it's older than me too. Huh. You guys are the same age. Discuss. Hi, ah. are you 26? I am 26, turning 27 soonish. Oh, then you're older than me, so that's no fun. Get out of here, oldie. Well, wait, you're the same year, though, aren't you? Yeah, 1989? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's same what I Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I don't know. Do A you... telling benchmark for our achievements in life? I guess that we're, you're, you're older than Taylor. I'm older than Taylor Swift, too, but only mm-hmm. by four days. Um, but who's counting? Me, definitely me. Yeah. Uh, I don't. What do you think about twenty six? Because twenty six kind of feels like a nothing year to me. Like, um, it's it's not really like it is. It is what you make it, I guess. But in terms of the actual, like, there's nothing particularly special about twenty six. Twenty six was sort of an eye opening birthday. It was that realization that okay, twenty five was the last monumental thing that's going to happen to me until I turn thirty. Yeah, and so now I am in. Um, the slow embrace of decay, I guess, the the realization that, oh, look, I, I have stopped maturing in any meaningful way. Now yep. I just get to look forward to aging. We're starting down the hill. Yep. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Anybody who's over 26 right now is probably laughing at us. But. Almost certainly. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Well, I don't yep. know. I feel like you guys, as people who are the same age as Taylor Swift, get to be in this exciting, like, kind of nebulous space of you never know when she's going to write her next song about a year that matters to her Hmm. right the first one was 15 and then 22 and now like it could happen well then 1989 was a year that mattered to her that whole Mm -hmm. album yeah so she's just she's really into time and we're in lockstep with her in terms of time yeah that's what i mean so like for you guys like as soon as she releases her next like number like her next age-based song or year-based song it's going to be really exciting for you because you're going to be living it in the moment. 
Yeah, that's true. Mm. Maybe not you, Alex, because you're old. Uh, but and meanwhile, you're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to anticipate it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but you I'll get to experience in, you know, it all like after the fact. Like, yeah, you, know, you, you get uh, the unique experience of growing into that age and then seeing how does this song affect me now that I am in fact 22. It right. gets to inform your your ideas about what that age is going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. we went into 22 just having this blank slate, but you went into it knowing Taylor Swift and knowing what she says about being 22. Has that affected you? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. 22 has been like... The best year since 18 so far. Hmm. So, hmm. I mean, it happened when you were 18. I don't remember. Oh, nothing particular. Just 19 <laughs> through 21 were all kind of garbage. Ah, uh, yeah. fair. <laughs> 18 wasn't a huge spike. There was just a bit of a pit afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Taylor Swift, like, you know, did some, some, some juju on me or something. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, here's the question Does that song actually say anything meaningful about being 22? Because, while she says, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22, she doesn't describe what feeling 22 feels like. No, I, I think in context, it's this kind of ephemeral party vibe that characterizes like that particular period of young adulthood um, and that that freedom to go and drink as late as you feel like. Right. Um, but at the time, like hearing that song for the first time when did it come out in the last year like i remember catching it on the radio at some point i don't really know it taylor definitely swift. came out when taylor swift was 22 which oh goodness is when i was 22 when i was 22 yeah. then i, I only was 17 <laughs> then uh, i only heard that in the last two years when i started listening to the radio more ah. uh and i thought wow i feel like a curmudgeon hearing this <laughs> i i don't care what you think 22 feels like because i'm old uh yeah well um speaking of things that are in their 20s uh pokemon pokemon gotta catch him oh you know it's my destiny i'm impressed that you know any amount of the pokemon (laughs) to be honest (laughs) oh man yeah they revealed last week on pokemon's 20th birthday that they're going to be releasing new games later this year. Oh, was that a surprise? Like, weren't you sort of expecting that? I mean, Don't they always release new games. They surprisingly like it's. It feels really fast mm-hmm. compared to before. Like, mm. it used to be they'd space them out every like you know three or four years between each generation. Whereas the most recent generation of games came out like two years ago, maybe maybe mm-hmm. three years ago. So it feels really fast, and they just put out a new game like last year. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I'm excited. Yeah. Like now that they're in their 20s, their biological clock is ticking and they, <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they know. put out more babies. <laughs> They've only got about 20 years of fertile Pokemon eggs left before <laughs> they won't be able to make any more. It's OK. They'll evolve into something that has more. It's OK. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand how Pokemon evolution works. Well, they, they level up um, okay. by training and battling. Uh, so the longer you have a Pokemon, the stronger it gets. Uh, and then at some point, uh, they reach a predetermined like uh, level that is a requirement for them to evolve. So maybe it'll be like, you know, level 18 or whatever. They'll evolve into their next stage of life right? Uh, where they're stronger and bigger and, you know, better. So evolution, <clears throat> like Pokemon evolution is definitely a misnomer then because... What you what you describe as evolution in Pokemon is almost certainly more like pupation. Or yeah. Like, mm-hmm. 
and it is depicted that way most of the time. Uh, individual Pokemon sort of go through adolescence into adulthood right. in a process that they call evolution. On the other hand, there are also a bunch of ones that just arbitrarily change when certain conditions are met. Like, yeah. oh, now you're good enough friends. Suddenly your body has entirely metamorphosed into something different. Or you're in proximity of a mountain with this rock on it? Guess you're going to be made of gr- of grass now. Yeah. Interesting. So would you describe like... The process by which gremlins mature is somewhat analogous to Pokemon? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, some Pokemon evolve by level. Like Alex said, sometimes it's a, like, situation-based thing. Others, if you, like, touch them with a special rock, they'll they'll evolve. Ooh, it's, uh, baby. You know, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right to say that, like, Pokemon evolution is not really evolution. But I wonder it's... how Pokemon evolved. Like well, That's actually interesting. Uh, I heard a theory, because the different sort of... Um, like regions in the Pokemon games. Yeah. So like every new generation of Pokemon games has a different region attached to it. Um, and they're all sort of based off different regions of the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone was tracking, like they were looking at, okay, so like the bird Pokemon in each region kind of look like they may have evolved to adapt to that region's geography. Okay. Mm. Um, so like there's some that are more sort of like urban looking and they live in a region that's very dominated by like a big city urban uh, looking meaning they wear their gold pigeons. chains they're bling <laughs> they're pigeons <laughs> i knew where you were going with that uh, <laughs> i wasn't sure if you were just being pc or if you actually just meant urban birds no no yeah like they like there's like a, a straight up like pigeon looking pokemon that isn't the original pigeon pokemon uh, but like looks like a gray sort of you know as a, a rock dove a pigeon yeah wait there's more than one pigeon pokemon right? yeah, yeah so in addition to like the pidgey evolution well line, pidgeys are sparrows they pidgeys, just happen to yeah. have a silly name for a sparrow yeah exactly uh so there's in fact a pigeon pokemon in like the fifth generation called p-dove ah p-dove uh, that uh looks that like is a straight urban. Up pigeon yeah he's you know evolves into some kind of pheasant Excellent, yeah, like yeah. pigeons do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, the evolution, the obvious evolution of a pigeon is definitely a pheasant. If yeah. you take, if you go outside and you find a pigeon on your front porch in the city, and you bring it home and you feed it warm milk for thirty days, it will transform into a pheasant. Yeah, I. It's been so long since I've since I've had any type of warm milk in my life for any reason. You know, by by virtue of having not been, you know breastfed as a child and well, also were you given warm milk babies though, around that was not from breasts I, that's usually how babies are fed no i i'm pretty sure i just had like standard temperature formula okay yeah um and you know can't drink milk and whatnot so warm milk is a weird concept to me that i always forget exists until mm-hmm. someone brings it up and it just sounds like the worst yeah people always describe it as really comforting who have grown up drinking warm milk i guess mm. but for me it's hot chocolate milk or cold non-chocolate milk mm-hmm. there's not really a middle ground hot milk always seems like it's just a shade away from being somewhere between sour cream and terrible cheese so <laughs> consequently i have never found it appetizing that is an interesting that's especially true if you i used to do this like to make hot chocolate would just make chocolate milk and microwave it right really um hmm. but if you microwave it for a bit too long, it develops this like scummy substance no, on the top. Beautiful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, it's not really that lovely, but yeah, that, that could be kind of like a cheese, I suppose. I think it's just all mm. the proteins like getting stuck to the surface. Gross. Yeah. Gross. Gross. But no, that's a, gross. that's a better form of chocolate milk than like water and powder for sure. Mm. Gross. You're gross. Um, 
Anyway, the reason I brought up the Pokemon thing uh, is because uh, we have um, one of our Patreon subscribers. Patreon! You can go to Patreon.com. Patreon. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> Gotta fund them all. Yeah, uh, I wonder if anyone's done that parody yet. I looked it up because I thought of that. Right, there's been a really bad version of it done. Okay, which is like sad to me because I kind of want to make one myself mm-hmm. that's better. But but now like I feel like can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of our Patreon subscribers, Patrick, uh, pledges over five dollars a month, which means that he gets to suggest a topic of conversation for us every month. And this month, he was like. Uh, what do you think this generation will be remembered for eventually? And also, like, what's going to be the next big trend? So your answer to that is Pokemon. No, well, my my answer to that uh, is, like, because Pokemon's been around for 20 years, like, I don't think that 20 years ago people thought Pokemon would be so big, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, like... Except those kids who collected Pokemon cards. Yeah, well, there were a few of us hopefuls, right? But I, I don't know if anyone thought it would be still like a big relevant cultural thing now. Like, right. I think back then, even like parents who thought the kids should collect the cards probably thought like these will be worth money because they're going to stop making these in five years, mm. as opposed to True. twenty years from now, you're still going to be buying these, and I'm not going to be proud of you for it. <laughs> um, so, what I'm wondering, um, just in relation to that, in relation to this question, is like, you know, what do you guys think? Are there things that we are into right now that like seem like they might end in like four or five years, but that you wouldn't be surprised if they last for like, you know, till our kids are our age? Hmm. I feel like to me, like social media felt like that when it started, hmm. like the whole because, you know, MySpace was kind of the first iteration. Well, maybe not the first iteration, but the first iteration that I was really aware of. Hmm. Um, and it sort of came and went. Um, like it was a thing that people were like, oh, this is great. Let's put all sorts of dumb color stuff on our profile pages and just have anonymous spam bots be awful. And then it went away and Facebook replaced it. And we were like, okay, well, this is another thing. And then probably that'll get replaced. But I feel like the, like the general structure of, of the internet feels like it's congealing a little bit. Like we're moving out. I think we're moving out of kind of of the wild west of the internet into more like of an establishment phase where like the things that are here are going to stick around. I could be wrong about Mm. that, Mm. but I don't think anything is going to come around that really replaces YouTube or replaces Twitter um, Mm. unless Twitter destroys itself, which (laughs) Twitter is kind of a good platform to destroy (laughs) itself. So we'll see. Right. Um, Mm. So like, I don't know. I, I mean, people tell me that, Kids these days aren't using Facebook, but I don't, know I don't really true. know if that's true or if those people just don't have kids on Facebook. Certainly as someone who deals with teenagers a lot, working at a CJEP and at a high school and currently back in a CJEP as a student somehow. Oh, uh, fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, people are on Facebook all the time. And that's true of like my seventh grade students as much as it is of my 11th grade students across the board. Everybody is on Facebook and Vine and Twitter and Snapchat at every possible moment. I was yeah. just seeing a show uh, Thursday night last with a bunch of my classmates in this CJEP course and they were on their phones the entire show. They they couldn't not be on Facebook, even though we were in a very small theater. Right. That Yeah, that's, I think, that's the, the generation that I am a part of is almost, 
that and we are part of, I guess, is almost the transition generation, I would say. Mm. Um, Tom, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like you grew up with the internet quite a bit more than I did. Yeah, I think by the time I was like seven, we consistently had internet in our house. Mm. Yeah, mm. so definitely through your, your maturing and, and mm. teenagerhood. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember learning about the memes of the day from you when you were like 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like there's been this shift from, yeah, we have connections in real life, but our real connections are on the internet now. Mm. Yeah, like, well, that's that's the big thing, right? Is that like back then the internet was a thing that we used sort of in our free time, whereas now the internet is the thing that we use to actually communicate with each other. Mm. Yeah, and I think I still like, I still have a bit of this perspective where like, doing things on the internet is kind of fake, you know, mm. like mm. to have, you know, like my Facebook relationships or conversations are like not as serious as my real world conversations mm-hmm. quote. Right. Um, I, th- I feel like the generation that's coming up, that's growing up with this maybe doesn't have that distinction. That's mm. probably fair. I mean, for both of us, like using the internet in the early two thousands as teenagers, um, like social interaction on there was forums and IRC and normal instant messengers. And there's a level of anonymity there. Normal instant messengers. You're kind of dating yourself there. As opposed to IRC, um, (laughs) like MSN and AOL and ICQ. Um, I don't know what half of those things stand for. (laughs) You are such a child. Uh, Um, You you never got AOL CDs in the mail to try out the internet? We used AOL CDs as Frisbees. (laughs) Me too. Um, That's that's the only thing I ever used them for too, but I... But what's yeah. uh what is an IRC? That's a word that I or a thing I remember hearing all the time, but I never knew what it stood for. IRC is short for Internet Relay Chat, mm-hmm. um, and it is one of those earlier forms of the internet, like MUDs and MUCs, um, that you'll. Let's start with IRC and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, it's sort of the the proto chat room. Okay. Um, you'll connect to a server that's hosting many individual channels. That are just text and many other people may be inside any of those channels, which are all um, centered around a particular topic set by whoever's made the channel. And then you join that channel and anyone who is in there talks freely to anyone else. If you post something, then everybody who's in that room reads it. But you can also then, you know, send private messages to somebody and like MIRC is the the standard IRC platform. Okay. Hmm. So it was like a... A live forum chat. It was essentially those chat rooms that your parents told you not to go on because yes. you would meet, I don't know, sketchy people. Yep. Totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> were you in you were in that world? Were yes. you on IRCs? Yes. Um from like, I don't know, age thirteen or fourteen, most of my social interaction was online, but it was always done through that veil of anonymity. It okay. was never a matter of it being like me personally interacting with anybody I honestly thought I'd ever meet, which is funny because I'm still friends with a lot of people now from back then. My longest friends are ones from like 14, 15 years ago that I met on the internet. Hmm, um, and then starting college and this big shift towards MySpace and Facebook, especially when they were competing, um, as we started to hash out that place on the internet where your real life personality and your real life friends and your face would all be part of your online image yeah. was a really interesting space to navigate. Yeah, I guess that's really true. Hmm. And there's something like 
there's something special about being part of a small community as mm -hmm. well, right? To be one of those IRC people. Mm -hmm. Would you, like, I presume you would bump into the same people in, like, different chat spaces yes. and stuff. And, like, and like, you, you would kind of get to know each other as this weird little community that only you knew about. Exactly. Okay. Mm. Now, the internet is not something that you can really form a bond over. Mm -hmm. It's not something that, oh, we have the internet in common. Let's be <laughs> friends. Mm. It's a, it's just a vehicle now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I had, like, that type of experience when it came to, uh, like, I played some, like, online role-playing games, mm -hmm. uh, both, like, text-based and, like, actual, like, video game kind of mm -hmm. things. Uh, and I definitely met people through those who mm. I think I'm still in touch with one or two of them, not in any, like, seriously meaningful capacity. Mm. Um, but I remember a guy I went to high school with, he and I used to play this, uh, uh, what was it? The legend of the green dragon or something. It was a, it was a text-based RPG, um, online, okay. you know, you would create a character and you'd have like your whole backstory figured out and all of your attributes and equipment and whatnot sorted out. And you basically had to like, um, solo, you would go and battle through like sort of automated fights against bad guys until you leveled up enough to kill the dragon. All right. Mm -hmm. And then you would be reborn slightly stronger than a normal level one person, but mm. back at level one again. And you just had to keep doing this over and over again oh. to get more swagger. Like, um, oh, goodness. What's <clears throat> the name of that that online game? It's entirely text-driven with very simple, like, line drawings, and it's completely facetious. Uh, you can be, like, an accordion smith or um, a pasta mancer. Uh, it, it's been around for like 11 years. Whoa, that sounds great. <laughs> and does, like your currency is meat. What? Huh. I don't know. Mm, if uh, you know, let us know in the comments. Yeah. Please do. I'm <laughs> feeling very old now that I don't remember what this is called. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, a buddy of mine from high school, uh, he ended up, he and I were playing this game together and we both did fairly well and we were really involved in the role playing aspect of it. And uh, he actually ended up for like years dating one of the girls that we met through there. Hmm, she... Nice. I think she lived in the States somewhere, but had family in Canada mm -hmm. and or in Montreal and was like planning on doing college here. Mm -hmm. And so she came up here and they were like dating for like a while. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Because I remember us meeting her on the Internet when we were like 12. <laughs> um, it didn't work out. <laughs> but, oh, well, most dating know. relationships don't, statistically speaking. Yeah. But I still remember thinking that was really wild because that was the first sort of instance I had of someone that I knew meeting someone they met online. Mm. Um what about, uh, did you meet Nathan and Sherry before then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so, we have married couple friends who mm -hmm. met on, what was, the, it was a chat room that they met on too, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but it was, yeah, they met online for sure. Yeah. And they got married. Yeah, it's worked yeah. out for them. Yeah, for sure. It can, but it, yeah, this was the first time that I, like someone I already knew was in that situation where yeah. they like met someone online and then ended up meeting in real life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's really cool. That sort of happened to me, but through Facebook. Um, my friend, Matt Fishman, he went to high school with my roommate, Sam. Um, so like I'd kept, you know, we would see each other on, each, on Sam's Facebook posts mm -hmm. and we would like interact through there and realize we thought the other was funny. Hmm. And it ah. took us like four years of that before we finally actually met in person. And it was this glorious moment oh. <laughs> of like, I, I have seen your, your reputation precedes you because yeah. of your Facebook posts. Well, that's it. Like we, we would like, you know, we would laugh at stuff that the other person had written on people, on mutual friends, Facebook stuff. And we would like, you know, like each other's comments or whatever. I don't know if you could. Ooh, back then. flirtation. Well, that's the kind of thing. It was like, it was funny. Cause I remember thinking like, oh, like I recognize this name. And then eventually we added each other on Facebook and started like chatting. Right. And it was still like a year after that, that we finally met for the first time. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. 
I just met a person that I hadn't really met on Facebook, but was friends with. Yeah. It's crazy. It's the new way of things. Yeah. And meanwhile, like now, I feel like that's slowly happening. Like well, me. Na- well, now there's Tinder. So. Oh, well, I was going to say now, like I'm making friends on Twitter now, ah, which yeah, is not true. something I ever thought would happen. That's a, it's a cool platform to like, to be making friends because you think each other are funny as like mm-hmm. the starting point mm-hmm. online. I guess that happens a lot, you know, in real life too. For sure. But yeah. to for that to be like it's a form of personal art that you're doing online, right? It's this, yeah. you know, weird like aphorisms or witticisms or whatever you want to call them. And then yeah, you meet be, you meet because you like each other's weird little art that you do Mm. yeah it's like oh i enjoy and respect your content let's be friends (laughs) yeah well you know just as good as proximity yeah better because you can you know you can start you can forge that entire friendship on the toilet you can't do that in real life (laughs) Uh, speak for yourself (laughs) like i was uh i've like matt qn on twitter yeah, uh, a good friend of mine. Now we started following each other maybe just a little over a year ago, and now we like text all the time. And like I was texting him just this morning while I was on the toilet, and I was like, "This friendship has gotten weird." <laughs> <laughs> because I think now, do you now think of your toilet time as Matt time? No, I think of my toilet time as Twitter time. Ah. I I usually don't do much texting while I'm on the toilet. I do a lot of tweeting on the toilet. <laughs> This is a, a good uh, alliteration segment we got going here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turlet tweets. Tur- <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think will be the thing that this generation is remembered for? Hmm. This gener, like the the one that we're we're part of that we're talking about, or the one that's uh, that's coming up now. Maybe we'll amend the question. What do you think the like the twenty tens will be remembered for? Mm. That makes a little more sense. Beards, beards. I, mm. Mm, yeah, fashion-wise, it's gonna be beard, beards and man buns. For yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what are girls' fashions. Wait, slightly wavy hair, slightly wavy hair, and it's still sort of riding on that hipster recapturing like '60s and '40s looks. Yeah, um, like that sort of pre-Great Depression Audrey Hepburn kind of thing that was happening for a while, and the entire thrift store boom. Right. Uh, that's driven on this sort of recapturing and reimagining of classic fashion trends. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, JD once pointed out on uh, on Facebook that most people today dress like a 90s L.L. Bean calendar. Is or <laughs> L.L. Bean catalog, rather. I don't remember what L.L. Bean was. Just lots of, like, denim and flannel. And- mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, so fashion wise, that that'll be that'll be the look of the twenty tens. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. By by twenty ten, yeah, by twenty ten, the whole the whole emo thing was gone. That was yeah, the, the yeah, two thousands. I remember starting to notice a lot of people in flannel in twenty ten because that was when I started at Dawson, mm. and I remember a lot of the guys in my theater class deciding that Thursday was plaid day, Naturally. and so they'd all come in wearing plaid or flannel. Hmm. And I remember some people being annoyed because they were like, you're not even wearing plaid, you're wearing flannel. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's, there, there are pedants everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that makes sense to me. Like fashion wise, it's a lot of like throw callbacks to like previous yeah. things. Like I, I look positively 90s grunge right now mm-hmm. uh, in my flannel and very torn jeans. 
the big headphones help too. That is true. Yeah, the podcasts are good for that. Yeah, I think will will we be will this be the uh, the decade of irony, or can that not be ascribed mm. to a decade? Because I feel mm. like irony has <laughs> maybe become a word so commonly used that it doesn't mean much mm. in the twenty tens. But that yeah. doesn't mean that it's particularly good right now. Well, this is like the hipster decade. Yeah, more than it's an ironic decade. It's you know, it's people trying to do things ironically, but as a result, doing them too genuinely. Mm. Where do you think that comes from? Like, why now? Why did the 2010s become this, like, celebration of irony? Was it something to do with being all plugged into the internet and just being washed over with information? Maybe. I think that certainly played a certain part of it. Um, But it's interesting how a lot of that is a product of forces that we don't really think of as being part of of that, of our generation, that, like... Tina Fey's work or Portlandia are so in touch with like the zeitgeist of how we define like this irony and the irony that sort of codifies a lot of our humor right now. They're, they're not our age. They are 20, 30 years older than us. And somehow they've tapped into exactly what we wanted. Hmm. When was Portlandia made? Portlandia uh, started four or five years ago. Yeah, okay. something like that. Like it's still 2011. Going, right? uh, yes, it is. Yeah. 2011, 2012. So this isn't a, this isn't a generational exclusive thing. Like it's not only mm-hmm. people in their twenties. No. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to like change the wording of the question a little bit from generation to like right. time period. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this generation not only could mean two different things depending on which half of this room we're talking about, but also could mean you know the people in this room or the people like five, ten years younger than us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whereas the time period, I think kind of, it's a bit more interesting to talk about that anyway. I think this is like, to to me, the 2010s are, maybe it's only that I've become aware of it, but the 2010s are when the internet became political. Mm-hmm. Like, I think probably there, you know, you can talk, you know, going back to the birth of YouTube, vitriolic YouTube comment mm. threads and stuff. But um, I think... Tom just made a really weird Sorry. face. <laughs> when you said the phrase birth of YouTube, for some reason, the image that it conjured in my mind was just of like the uh, the manger scene, but with like a little baby YouTube in the in the manger instead of Jesus. <laughs> just uh, just like the YouTube logo with the... Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> swaddled in a blanket. You should, uh, you should make that <clears throat> and tweet it on Christmas. That'd yeah. So funny. I was imagining the birth of Adam, but with YouTube. <laughs> The birth of Adam. You mean is that con- not what it's the called? The construction of Adam out of clay, or uh, the the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Oh, I oh, think you that mean one. The the Adam go home. Yes, Adam go home. <laughs> I'm lost. That Michelangelo classic, <laughs> directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh, the... that's what the finger is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I th- I think maybe it's maybe it's that the. the yeah, like social justice is suddenly this thing mm. that is everywhere on mm. the internet. And that's not a phrase that is new. No. Like people have been talking about social justice since, I don't know, probably like the 40s or something, yeah. at, even as the, as those words. But it's somehow, I don't know, it's, it's now the form that people, maybe it's the form that people are deciding on their ideas in, mm-hmm. in this generation, including 12-year-olds. Yeah. So it leads to this... Very strange. Yeah. It's certainly fair to say there's a lot more politicking on the internet than there was 10 years ago. Mm. 
There's also just a lot more opinions on the internet than there were 10 years ago. Yes. Well, there's a lot more internet than there was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. True. Although th- I'm feeling like that that's going to gradually become less true to say that, you know, something about the internet 10 years ago. Because now, now that I think about it, 10 years ago, I was like actively using the internet. Which 10 is years ago, it's 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, for sure, the makeup of it has changed a lot since then. But like, I still think about, you know, 2006, I was using MySpace a lot. Or not MySpace, MSN. Uh, and I was like playing MMORPGs mm-hmm. kind of all the time. Mm. I think I was still playing Neopets probably. Good old days. Neopets is still around. That was th- a thing when I was that age. Well, I think it still exists. Huh. I haven't, yeah, I haven't signed on since probably the end of high school when I signed on again to see if my stuff was still there. But I'm sure it still exists. Hmm. Neopat was what was a ne- I, Neopat? <laughs> Neopat. <laughs> uh, it was this like web based game where uh, you had these like digital pets that you could, you know. Ah, it was a web-based and, Tamagotchi. Okay. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. You'd have to feed them, and you could train them and give them items, and there were a lot of Flash games and social interactions driven via rudimentary Flash interfaces. Mm. And if you didn't feed them, uh, they would never die, but they would just be dying mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> they looked very sad if you did not feed them. Yeah. I guess it's it's not good business practice to actually have your Neopet die, because then you'll never care about it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the one flaw with Tamagotchis. Was that they would they actually die? Well, they would yeah. actually die, but it was very easy to just restart. Ah, but well, uh, you know, it made it hard to actually get emotionally attached to them. I don't know. I still felt a certain responsibility on that front. I can remember, sort of in the same vein, first playing uh, Harvest Moon, like mm. a farming RPG, back in nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, and I remember making a couple of missteps and not having enough money to get medicine and one of my cows got sick and died no. and it was the most heartbreaking thing i think i woke up my parents on at like six in the morning on a saturday to weep at them that my cow had just died through my own irresponsibility <laughs> yeah. wow you learned a valuable lesson exactly I, those games got intense mm-hmm. I, I played harvest moon 64 like constantly as a kid and it was always really really sad when animals would die and mm-hmm. like you you could you could get married in these games. Okay. Um and then like once you were married, it didn't take too long before your wife was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the by you know, there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah, yeah, like I'm pretty you know, you you go to bed with her every night for a while and then at some point she's mm. just pregnant. Okay. Um and like I remember being like genuinely like really concerned about the well being of my pregnant wife. <laughs> I was like seven or eight. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I I I don't know, I don't think I don't think I I don't think I've ever really established a real emotional attachment to video games that maybe mm-hmm. you guys have like i've always seen video games as a little more of like a, a mindless entertainment it's another another mm-hmm. sort of one of those this isn't really real kind mm-hmm. of things for me so I'm, I'm gonna do this to waste some time then i'll go back to reality right so like i, I used to play oregon trail a lot um <laughs> but i just did not care right if my son died of dysentery i just <laughs> it was just kind of sucky because then my high score was lower that was all mm-hmm. i attached to it I mostly played Oregon Trail to shoot things. I beat Oregon Trail once. Once? Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, as a kid, I never beat it because it was hard as a kid. As an adult, it's easier, but it's less satisfying. It depends how you start it because you can start it on like the really good setting, like the really wealthy setting or like the really I'm terribly poor setting. I can't remember. I think Sam and I did like... Sam, my roommate and I played this like maybe a year ago hmm. and we like just had a night where we were like, let's play Oregon Trail. 
and we like we made it to the end with i think two people left alive right so like could have been worse is that something you can like dos box or something because i remember playing that like on the computers at school in like the second or third grade, like on those old green screened Macs. Yeah. Okay. There's well, like there's hundreds of versions online. There oh. were versions yeah. of it that were not like 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 they kept coming out with with oh updated Oregon trails that mm-hmm. had like, you know, actual graphics and interesting. Things. Yeah. So the version I played was like it was like a two hundred and fifty six color Oregon Trail type oh. thing. Had like weird little animations of deer running across the screen that you'd shoot and like Okay. Yeah, it was like the the river was an actually kind of looking river thing. Hmm. You would raft down at the end and probably crash and lose a couple family members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think they they kept. I don't. I don't know when they they probably stopped that at some point. Hmm. Like I can't imagine that now there's like a fully three D rendered Oregon Trail <clears throat> floating around. But I would knows? actually not be surprised. <laughs> That's Thomas true. There's sort of a market for that kind of thing. Yeah, but I feel like it's probably easier for them to just be retro. Here's mm. your plug-in to green screen. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to quickly Google when the most recent Oregon Trail game came out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it feels like the internet recently has led to everybody developing a consensus opinion on something really quickly? Yes. Uh, that like, is something I've been noticing a lot, um, especially because, you know, you generally are friends with a lot of like-minded individuals. Yeah. Um, and your social circles all tend to gravitate towards one particular point on the political spectrum or another, that once a particular news story breaks, um, I can immediately see, like, what backgrounds each of my friends are from because there'll be a broad group of, like, other artists who are you know, very have very strong liberal opinions on one point, or my family members who are more conservative Newfoundlanders yeah. who have their opinions, and everyone arrives at roughly the same conclusions at roughly the same time, and it's fantastic to watch. I'll not look at Facebook for eight hours and then go back and see, wow, literally the entire internet has divided into exactly these two opinions in approximately the same amount of time. Yeah, it's an incredible spread of... Yeah, I, I, because it's... And it's, it seems that everybody, like, even down to the articles that people are reading about mm-hmm. these tend to be very similar. Like, I'll, it's it's not uncommon now that I will have a conversation with someone, like, the day after a news story breaks, um, talking about, like, you know, what I've just happened to stumble across about this. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that we've read all the same articles uh-huh. on the subject. Like, the, the I feel like, yeah, the, the social media definitely has this ability to take one thing that one person said and if people think it's worthwhile instantly put it into everybody's head mm-hmm. um and i i think that there's like it's incredible that this can happen and i think that in some ways it's it's like it's going to change a lot of the things that people think about things for example <laughs> someone someone pointed out to me a little while ago or maybe it was a science article pointed out that a lot of the like sort of folk myths of years past have just disappeared because of smartphones. Like, almost nobody believes in Bigfoot now because if Bigfoot was around, people would be constantly taking photos of him with their smartphone. Mm-hmm. Just like everybody has cameras now, so that type of thing just seems absurd to us right. that something could hide like that. Mm. Um, but also, this proliferation of information and cementing of opinions and feeling like you have to have an opinion set by like the next day because everybody's going to be talking about it 
definitely loses nuance, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have more than a day to think about, huh, well, what are the complications involved in this opinion? Hmm. Like, I, I abstain from a lot of social media just because I don't feel comfortable forming those opinions in that time frame. I'd rather take that time and digest it on my own terms. And even if I don't get to really be a part of the conversation, I've still arrived at my own conclusions and feel more satisfied knowing that I've at least thought about it and tried to look at it from multiple angles. Right. Yeah, that's why I, I kind of appreciate, like, you know, we do this show weekly, right? If we did this show daily, we'd be forced to make a lot of, like, really quick opinions about stuff that's as true. it's happening. But instead, like, with a weekly schedule, it's like, oh, yeah, like, occasionally we'll have something, a story will break the day that we record and we'll end up talking about it. But usually we've had a few days to, like, think a little bit. Sometimes we've had over a week. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I feel like we can bring, like, I don't know, more researched opinions about stuff or at the very least, you know, more sort of sat on and thought about opinions yeah i think there's also like there's just a beauty to not having to know everything about everything like i found that a lot last week when we were talking about you know like racism and like homophobia and really Mm -hmm. like pretty heavy stuff yeah um i don't know if you noticed but i sort of positioned myself in that whole conversation as the question asker yeah um because i was like let's like, I don't want to just spew my opinion. I am, in none of these subjects, the most knowledgeable person, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's so, yeah, this has been said 100,000 times on the internet for sure, but it's very easy to, you know, form an opinion and spew it onto the internet right. and then get involved in a war. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I like, and I, I want to encourage in this medium that we are doing, um, you know, asking questions and thinking about things and, being able to go into a subject and coming out of, the, of it at the end, not having decided what everyone is to believe about it. Mm-hmm. I, I had it quipped at me once, and I wish I could remember the source of this, that the sign of an educated mind is the ability to hold two conflicting opinions in one's head at the same time without nullifying them. Huh. Hmm. That's a... It's, it's anno- the, the ability to do that is annoying, but I agree mm. that it is useful. Yeah. Huh. It's just what is the problem is when some when action is required, mm-hmm. especially when action is required by both of those opinions. Yeah, that's what people and like, for example, I think of a lot of social justice stuff like mm-hmm. people. People feel an urgency in these things. They don't feel like they can sit on the fence because the fence is a position, hmm. you know, yeah. to do nothing is to be with the enemy. Hmm. is very much the feeling of a lot of these debates. Right. So, and and maybe that's true. Like, it's true. If you're, if something is really wrong and you do nothing, then the wrong thing will persist. Yes. But, but at the same time, that's, you know, if, if neither side is inherently wrong, right? Like, you know, yeah. take, take it in the you know case of political things, right? If you're voting, uh, someone is going to see Trump as the bad guy. Someone's going to see Trump as the good guy. Yeah. The guy on the fence is not inherently doing a bad thing by abstaining from voting. But he is according to the people who think Trump is the worst thing ever because he, his, him by lack of his lack of voting is essentially assisting Trump with a win. Yeah. However, the people who think Trump is a good guy have the exact same feeling if Trump loses, they say, why didn't you vote? You could have made Trump the winner and we wouldn't have so-and-so as Mm -hmm. the, so it's like the fence is like 
simultaneously making you a bad guy and kind of a good guy, which is a really weird thing. Well, the way you've the way we've laid it out here, it essentially makes you a bad guy to both sides, which is fun. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, to be educated then is to be hated. Oh, well, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I guess like my feeling, just coming back to Patrick's question about like what this generation will be or this time period will be remembered for. I think we are a time period that like is trying to get shit done, but we're also a time period that is like really stuck on the past. What do you mean by that? Well, like, you know, it's like you're saying, like we social justice issues are more and more coming up now than they have in the past. Right. Uh, And they're sort of they have a bigger platform than they used to. They're being more widely talked about. But at the same time are like and like that's you know, that's one side of it. So that's my my we're trying to get shit done side is like, you know, on a social level, like we're trying and in some ways succeeding. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of work to do to get shit done. Um, the sort of cultural level, I think we're going to be remembered as that period that just kept trying to do the stuff that we did 20 years ago. Isn't that, um, uh, do you think that's new? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. What, what were people doing in the nineties? Were they not trying? They were making new Pokemon games. They were making full house. <laughs> they were, you know, ah, I making, see where you're going with that. There yeah, were like, a lot more original IPs originating, um, before the 2010s. Right. One could yeah. say. Whereas now we're making more Pokemon games and more full house. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing, I mean, you know, with, with more Pokemon games, that's just kind of the, where it's been going. And at least they're acknowledging that each one is like, you know, this is the new generation of games or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're adding to it, whatever. With like TV and movies especially, there's a lot of just, we're rebooting something that was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if that speaks to a lack of new ideas or just a desire to cling to things that give us good nostalgia feels. I think it has a lot to do with the significance of those original works in the first place in the lives of an entire generation of artists. Mm. And that as these new filmmakers, new actors, new creators in general are coming into their own, they're trying to reach out and recontextualize these works that meant a lot to them when they were growing up that maybe led them to those fields in the first place. And... I don't know, bring them into the 21st century. It's why we see new Star Treks, Star right. Trek continuing to be relevant for multiple generations. We see a new Star Wars. We see, and and even in things that aren't a direct reboot of something, we're still seeing that strong influence. If you look mm-hmm. at like popular kids shows right now, like Adventure Time or Steven Universe, they're both drawing very strongly from works that were popular in the 90s. Um, and recontextualizing that in the 21st century because that's what would uh, what the people making these shows grew up on. Right. And that makes sense. And like in in the new Star Wars movie, without saying anything that's actually a spoiler, um, there's a scene where Han picks up a weapon that he would have never picked up before. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. JJ apparently, like in an interview, um, when he first showed like when he first told this one person that he was interviewing about this, uh, and I wish I could remember who this was, but uh, he was, he, he told them like, Oh yeah, you know that, that weapon Han picks it up in this movie. The person like, you know, laughed really loud and like kind of lost it a little. And he was like, look, let me show you a photo and showed him. And you kind of think of that as like, okay, JJ Abrams is someone who grew up with the star Wars movies, mm-hmm. probably had action figures as a kid and was like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun if Han had this weapon? Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I totally get what you're saying, but I also feel like, I don't know, like that makes it hard for me to picture looking back at this decade and saying like, wow, look at all the like 
new stuff that they made. Mm. Right. Right. I think I it's there the 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 acceleration with which we're exposed to new things and ideas and have to make judgments about whether something is worth our time might come into play as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You scroll through your news news feed and you ignore 99% of the stuff. You you yeah. look at it and in the first second you think, "Ah, that's that could be good, but I'll keep going." This mm-hmm. is, you know, "Oh, that's that's interesting. I'll save that for later." Or then, "Oh, that's like that for sure. I want to look at that." And then you go and look at it. Right. And like to reboot something is an instant hook like that, right? It already has all this machinery within your brain that as soon as you're given the first inkling, like every time someone makes a post about how Firefly is going to get rebooted, which is always a hoax, it's always viral. Right. Mm -hmm. It's always everywhere on the internet. It's not even real, but people, it's like an instant hook into your brain. Mm -hmm. And that's the currency of social media. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. Which is a challenge for a social media or like a, a internet creator like us or me. Right. Um, yeah. How do you put that hook into someone's brain instantly? Mm-hmm. When someone pr- will probably judge your work before they see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's it. And so it's, I think it's a testament to the things that manage to be new and manage to be breakout hits. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, something like Hamilton. Yeah. Where like, you know. Not a lot of people, even even the most patriotic people probably in the States probably <laughs> were like super pumped when they heard there was going to be a musical about Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> like I think Lin-Manuel Miranda cared about that and not a lot of other people, but it was a testament to the quality of the work that that ended up blowing up the way that it did, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and or, even, the, even yeah. that one is, is definitely, it's definitely a product of this like pop culture referential generation sure. right like it's hugely referential to the stuff that lin-manuel found really cool when he was growing up so yeah. like all these hip-hop references and musical theater references are mm-hmm. in it mm-hmm. but it's still within that it's it's not just taking something old and redoing it mm-hmm. right yeah what other what other really good pieces of original art do you think have come out of this decade it's mm-hmm. a good question I mean, I like YouTubers myself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot yeah. of like great creative stuff has been done on YouTube. Yeah, this has been a good decade for YouTube. It's when we really kind of codified Wes Anderson's aesthetic and how that's trickled down into movies in general. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about like. I guess a lot of The Office happened. Oh God! The, most of the office happened before 2010. Yeah. <laughs> Parks and Rec happened in this decade. There right? we go. That's better. A lot of good TV has <laughs> yeah. happened in this decade for sure. That's where I was going with that. Was that there's been like re- like TV comedies have gotten better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them. Sorry, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> well, Big Bang. Th- I feel like Big Bang Theory is. It's like a holdover from the 90s that somehow yes. survived. Yeah. Like it's Chuck Lorre being like, I still want to make things, but I definitely make things in this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you then on, on the other hand, there's stuff like, you know, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or, you know, stuff again, Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Um, Bojack Horseman. Bojack yes. Horseman. The Netflix stuff, mm. which is a, a, yeah, it's an exciting new artistic venue. Mm-hmm. To be yeah. making stuff that people are going to watch all at once. Yeah. Mm. Right. Or or you can still do it staggered, like uh Mike Tyson Mysteries releases <laughs> on an ep- on a weekly format in spite of all being ready 
right at the start of the season. Okay. Yeah. And that is not a show that I can marathon. Hold on. No. What is Mike Tyson Mysteries? <laughs> Mike Tyson Mysteries is a Netflix original animated series um, in which uh, former professional boxer Mike Tyson leads his own personal Scooby-Doo team with his adopted Korean daughter, Young, uh, a perverted man who's been turned into a pigeon by a witch named Pigeon, and the Marquis of Queensbury, like um, the the founder of most modern like classical boxing and also the father of Oscar Wilde's lover. Okay. Uh, played by Jim Rash. Um, <laughs> about as fabulously as he possibly can. And they solve mysteries there are air quotes here that nobody can see um <laughs> it was in your tone yeah uh to the best or worst of their abilities usually the worst usually because of mike tyson hold on does mike tyson voice mike tyson oh yes he does yeah. <laughs> uh, he even does like little like interview sections in like the mike tyson mysteries jumpsuit at the end of every episode over the credits <laughs> all right yeah. this is, i'm gonna check this out i had no idea that this existed it's super short too like they're 10 minute episodes <laughs> it's uh it's pretty wonderful <clears throat> yeah well patrick i hope that answers your question <laughs> what do you what do you guys think, you know, internet people, people who are listening to this, tell us what you think is going to define the generation, because probably we had an we had some oversights of really, really obvious things, because mm-hmm. we tend to do that. You guys didn't talk about those movies about the stoned teddy bear even once. <laughs> I had to reach to even remember what that was. I can't remember <laughs> what that movie's called. Ted. Ted. It's called Ted. Of course it's called Ted. It's also called Ted 2, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Was the original Ted in the 2010s, though? Yeah, it wasn't that long yeah. ago. Okay. Was, uh, you know, that dude who does things. Mark Seth Rogen? Family, family guy. No. Oh, uh, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's the guy. Man. Well, yeah, let us know what you think uh, this time period, I guess, will be remembered for. Um, what about the future? What do you guys think is, where? where is it going? All to hell. Yay. Uh goodness, that's a hard one. I uh there was an interesting thing that happened on Twitter uh, this week, I think. Or maybe it was last week. I don't know. I just stumbled I don't even know how I stumbled across this because usually the far right sphere is very far outside of um what I could yeah, the people on my Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, no, I think it was my brother posted something um, that like Twitter has a, I think, I think Twitter has started like kind of taking hate speech seriously. Oh. Um, so they've sort of got a group of a, like a team together at the top who will decide that like, okay, this account is hate speech. We're going to shut it down. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. But... There are a lot of people on sort of the far right end of the spectrum who consider some of their the things that have been shut down to not be hate speech, but mm-hmm. in fact, to just be far right opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's these people are starting to boycott Twitter. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And like saying, oh, the Twitter is not my platform anymore. Twitter has gone to the, the liberal lefties. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like. I don't know. I, I don't know if something is going to come up to, you know, replace Twitter for them or they're just going to, you know, text each other. But I think it's going to be interesting to see whether 
Because right now I feel like everybody has, everybody uses the same platforms, but mm-hmm. they're split into different communities. Um, right. So there's, you know, there's liberal Facebook and conservative Facebook and there's liberal Twitter and conservative Twitter and crazy Twitter and ISIS Twitter and black Twitter and like all these subgroups of Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if as this, the, like this generation of people trickles upwards who really thinks that opinions need to be enforced, mm-hmm. which I think is happening on the, on the level of the people in these communities. Yeah. Like if you have a, a, a wrong opinion, they will judge you for it and mm-hmm. they will ostracize you for it. As these people come to control these platforms, I wonder if you're going to see it actually splitting off into there will be a conservative Twitter and a liberal Twitter mm-hmm. and there will be a conservative and liberal Facebook and these groups will not talk to each other at all. And we'll end up sort of as these countries on the internet mm. um, that are sort of you know self self imposed segregation based on mm. ideas. I don't know. It's something I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. I like to I like to think that you know we are as a society of global humans getting better at like talking to each other about differing opinions. But I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm part of liberal circles where people talk about their opinions yeah i don't know it's it seems that in spite of the talk of globalization the you know the electorate or the the political you know opinions are getting polarized Hmm. right that it's we're we're not converging to the mean we're diverging to the extremes yes um and i i'm not sure if that's you know people could argue that that's a holdover from like sort of the media of the past because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, you've got the liberal news channels and the conservative news channels mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think that's happening on the internet even more extremely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I sort of feel like eventually there will be wars, not between nations, but between rival <laughs> social media groups. Mm. But I'm a pessimist. Speaking of uh, social media and how that intersects with uh, modern politics, I was doing some reading recently about a new social media platform that's debuted in China okay. uh, called Sesame Credit. And the idea is that this is sort of one of those, you know, life tracking social media things that gamifies a lot of your life, allows you to sort of track achievements, and it's also GPS driven and you can post things. All right. Um Currently, uh, the idea with Sesame Credit is that you have a level, your Sesame Credit, and that goes up when you post things uh, that are in support of China's government, basically, when you (laughs) act in a patriotic way, in a way that everybody should be approving of. And your level will go down, not just as you post things that are not patriotic or by not posting anything, but as your friends do too. And so your level, uh, and there are perks to having high levels, are directly tied in to your entire social sphere with the eventual intention then of finding those individuals that don't conform to the mean on this front and not being friends with them and not giving them that platform because they're dragging down your Sesame credit and denying you those perks of having a high one. And while there are currently no penalties for having a low one, it is something that people have been talking about. Now, right now, from what I've read, it's in a trial period, but I think by 2019, the idea is for it to be mandatory all across China. 
All right. Hmm. Wow. Communism moving into the 21st century. Mm. That's that's, a, in, that's intense, but also I'm glad that they're embracing social media. I feel like if you take social media and you take away from it everything that makes it you know, good, you can't really be happy about embracing I guess that's, it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're definitely, they're using technology for mm-hmm. what they see as the ideal society mm-hmm. yeah which is that's more what i but mean I fe- more feels I like mean, it was like, inevitable yeah more, more what i mean i i i guess just i'm glad to see that they you know i don't know i like the idea that they are able to find ways to use social media for what they want to use it for mm-hmm. <laughs> even if i don't agree with what they're using it for just trying to make a neutral statement about like i'm glad that they have accepted this as technology that people use for things. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you should be surprised at that. This is China. This is not like no. This is not an but untechnological society. It is, however, a society that in the past has like shown disapproval for social media in any sort of capacity. Artists, well, it's, especially it's who speak out for... against Chinese, uh, or yeah, artists who speak out against Chinese politics, especially, have often been silenced by China's government. Well, I mean, the yeah. internet works very differently in China. Yeah. It, it's not really like how we have it here. Uh, content that is available to you is much more actively filtered, and it's sort of led to a very unique internet culture in China, mostly based around using code phrases to get around like the global internet sensors that will detect when you say inappropriate statements right. uh, in regards to the government. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if you go back to the early 2010s, the late 2000s, River Crab, uh, the Mandarin for River Crab, rather, was like the net idiom for an internet censor, uh, censor because if you wrote down in Chinese River Crab and then just took those sounds but changed the tones, which is not something you generally think about doing in, in Chinese languages in general, you would have a homophone lacking in the correct tones for internet censor. Ah, Um, So this was such a a dramatic leap from the normal way of expressing the idea of internet censor that their internet censors couldn't detect it in the first place. Mm. And so we see a lot of expletives that work that way, too. Like grass mud horse was um, the the go to Internet phrase for F your mother Um, because (laughs) it is made of homonyms. Uh, grass, mud, and horse, that if you change the tones on them and then you would write them with different characters normally, right. would say, F your mother. Wow. Oh, that's... Hmm. That That gives me... I mean, I think, I think what gives me hope in this scenario is that people are inevitably very clever. Yes. And they, whenever you put a system into place like this, it seems that people come up with, like, yeah, it's it's that lovely aspect of internet culture where suddenly the like the genius of individuals mm-hmm. becomes instantly widespread and you get this mm. unique cleverness that is only within that community mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with <laughs> sort of the, the powers that are controlling the platform. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess more, more what it is for me is like, I have always thought of the Chinese government as the type of people who would just shut down any type of social media platform mm-hmm. and like, you know, <clears throat> extremely, re- you know, restricting access to that to its people. Uh, so the idea of them like 
putting out their own social media platform and encouraging people to use that, mm. uh, even though it, it encourages them to use it in a way that basically just strokes their egos and you know isolates people potentially. I mean, probably definitely isolates people. I still think it's kind of like it's cute of them to do it. <laughs> I guess it's, it's a logical step, right? Like yeah, at a certain yeah. point, you you can't you know if if you want people to not do something you you can't at but it's universal you can't just say don't do that right you you can't just shut it down you need to provide them with an alternative so probably mm -hmm. you know sesame credit is like oh well you don't need facebook now you have sesame credit don't right. go look don't go looking for those things that we don't want you to look for yeah you have our thing i'm not saying it's it's good i'm just <laughs> saying i i I, <laughs> I on some level appreciate the direction that they decided to go with that well it'll mm. be a fascinating thing to see you know how sesame credit culture develops develops over time. yeah slash where they go with it because definitely you know once you've got people you know all codified into levels of liking the government there's a lot of scary possibilities mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yay well, yeah china mm -hmm. so uh guys uh, thanks for tuning in to the <laughs> up for discussion period kiest if you would like to uh, support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. You can pledge. If you pledge more than $5, you will talk about something you want us to talk about on this podcast, such as what Patrick got us to talk about this time. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, whatever, support the show, tweet us or something or put us things on Facebook, comment yeah. about the SoundClouds. You and can, uh, uh, you can follow us if you're not already following us on Twitter at Downward Talking. Uh, you can also do that on Instagram, also at Downward Talking. Despite how Tom pronounced that, there is an H in the with. It's down with talking. Down with talking. No. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what you're sending people to. I'm sure that uh, that handle also exists. exists. Um, yeah, you can also send us mail, uh, real life mail. If you do, we'll talk oh. about it. P.O. Box. Um, 65060, BP, Charlevoix, P.O., Montreal, Quebec, H3K1P0. Snap. Oh, my goodness. I've never listened this far into any episode. I had no idea you were directing them to that P.O. Box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think we... That's the first time you've actually talked about the P.O. Uh, Box. No, I mentioned it in the blurb at the beginning of last week's episode, oh, okay. too. Um, yeah, and uh, send us emails if you want to at upfordpodcast at gmail.com. Y'all, you can reach us literally so many different ways, and all the information is in the description for this episode, because we love you. So if you don't talk to us, it's your fault. Alex, thanks for coming. This was really cool. Oh, thanks for having me. Y'all are as lovely as you are handsome. Aww, Aww, that shucks. means we're, like, kind of lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, can they find you on the internet, or would you rather they don't? I mean, I'd rather they don't, there but by all means, if you want to, I'm really only on Facebook. I cool. don't do social media. <laughs> mm, do you have a public social Facebook page that people can see all of the things that you love and do? No, I never like anything on Facebook. Can people follow you even if they can't be your friend? Maybe. I'll look into that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. <laughs> well, thanks again, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, follow us. You know what to do. Rate Bye. the show on iTunes and why not? Yay! Mm. Holy chalupas. Chalupas? <laughs>